1: Jack, Jack O'Hara. Boy asking me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara. Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey Jack. Jack hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh listen man, you know you 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 asked me a couple questions broadcasting around the world you're listening to the o show in the show and uh, doing your thing i mean you've got some pr- pretty big name guests i've seen your your stuff so congratulations on your success jack o'jara much nicer guy than conan o'brien with much better interviewing skills don't forget to share this episode on your social media now let's get to it i'm so boned. i forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday. Aw, oh, dude. She's definitely totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, what? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. It's an adult move. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. are, you,
0: are you living in Jersey? or Are you in the city?
1: No, I live in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey, so yeah. Uh, maybe maybe like twenty twenty minutes west of Manhattan. So it was like a awesome you know awesome spot. And for that reason, I don't think I would ever live in New York. Hey, there's just no reason for it. So, are you in Phoenix? Yeah, I love it there. I really do. Um, between just uh you know scottsdale and tempe and um i've been i mean i've been out there for for baseball spring training and the fall league and stuff like that so it's i mean you you probably have an idea of what that's like it's it's a lot of fun so what do you um what are you studying
0: uh so it's sports journalism with a minor in film okay two totally different things but yeah like my whole my big thing like i was one of those kids yeah but that's good broadcasting at a young age and then like as i've kind of developed i've kind of kind of fell in love with the film industry as well, kind of making sport films and documentaries. So hopefully I can like implement that too into what I do in sports. Hopefully one day,
1: man, it's, it's good though, to, to do something completely, in my opinion, to do something completely separate from, yeah. I guess your major. Um, I think if I could like go back and do it again, I, um, I, I minored in history and oh, it was wow. only basically to lighten the workload for it. Was, it, it felt fairly easy. And it was basically just to lighten my, my workload while I can concentrate on everything that I would be doing at our, our college radio station. Cause that was what was most important in my eyes. And I think like, if I go back and do it again, I probably would want to like minor in English or something like that. So, um, you know, a bit of a fallback plan, but, uh, but no, I think it's, I think it's valuable to do something completely different from, from your major. So, Did you have any other like aspirations coming out of school or in school besides
0: broadcasting that you kind of wanted to pursue or like
1: pursue? Not really. (laughs) No, I really didn't. So um, it's uh, at times you know it was I don't want to say frightening. Yeah. But like I have like those Booby Miles moments from yeah (laughs) from the movie. Like what are we going to do now? Like there's no other option really. So. yeah you gotta i guess you gotta find a way to make it work but um but yeah that's i i always i always hear that my in my head like the friday night lights quote like basically i don't know how to do anything else so uh (laughs) it's a little late so you know we we cross our fingers there too but uh but yeah uh it's been interesting been interesting road and uh it's been fun Interesting. Like, how have you been able to
0: kind of keep ready like during this time, like the past six months or so, like everything shut down? I know for like most workers, and especially you guys, it's basically. But for media for the Yankees, so they're only letting like K. Cone, O'Neill in, and that's about it. Like for day to day media.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, for just for the Yankees. I mean, I think during a regular season in a normal time, there's probably well over 50 media members uh, in the press box on a given game, probably more. And uh, they only cap it, they cap it at 35 max throughout this entire season, postseason included. And yeah, it's very bare bones. My department that, that you know, I work for the Yankees, the actual club, Uh, Mm -hmm. not, not, yes, I fill in there, but, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we work for the Yankees and, and my actual department, the school board department on a game day, I mean, there's probably like thirty people, you know, that are that are in a control room putting on a show on the set you would see on the giant scoreboard, and I think during this time, where it's bare bones, there might be five people. Wow! I think. So it's yeah, it, it's really strange. Um, I you know I think they've done a great job, but it's uh, it's really strange. And yeah, I have like tons of FOMO. I'm not there, obviously. It's like kind of been a lost year there. It's, you know, it's, it's been tough, but it's been tough everywhere. So you kind of keep it in perspective. But um, between that, um, I work for the NBA. I host some of their international programming. Um, you know, they came back at a weird time in their season. So uh, basically, I think for a lot of people, there's low inventory right now. So I, I think a lot of people are waiting to see what happens when some of the leagues uh, start planning for next season. And uh, hopefully it's a little bit closer to uh, normal, or at least what we're accustomed to. Do
0: you think it's going to be semi-normal by 2021? Like by the time spring training starts, at least? Like, I think the NBA has done a tremendous job.
1: If yeah, you- I think they're the best. In, I think they're the the best league as far as leadership goes. I think it's uh, it's them. And then, you know, you, uh, you have a distant second. But um, it's tough to say. I mean, you see cases starting to spike again in areas that, were, we're pretty low, and I mean the spikes aren't significant, but you have to start somewhere. So it is a, a little alarming, and uh, you know you, you just hope that it can uh, it can be contained to the point where you have just you know you can inch more and more closer to that normalcy that you know that we're talking about. Because uh, without fans in the stands, a place like you know Yankee Stadium, I think you're gonna see it chopped down to, to the bones, like we witnessed in in 2020. And it's, uh, it's difficult for a lot of people. And, and I obviously think, you know, the fans have an impact on the games. I really do. And, and not just that, though. I mean, it affects the livelihoods of of countless people and, you know, we've, we've seen it, we've seen it. uh, We've read about it. We've read about teams having to, unfortunately, uh, make some, make some cuts, some leagues, make some cuts. And it's, it's been rough. So, you know, hopefully it trends uh, in the opposite direction and the sooner the better.
0: I mean, thankfully they got the season pretty much wrapped up. Like at this point, I we're probably getting to the MLB season, like already in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but like when the Marlins got hit hard, they had like 13 guys all at once. Like it looked like they were going to have to cancel everything. Like I wouldn't have
1: yeah, to see them cancel everything. I, I, I don't know what, would have had to happen for baseball to say, man, we got to seriously think about, you know, shutting it down and that being a possibility here. Uh, thankfully, we didn't get there, right? And and I think you, you tip your hat to the way the league conducted itself with all this stuff, able to navigate through those tough waters. But, but you know, between things like uh, rapid testing, which you're going to see more and more of, you know, I've read about uh, airlines incorporating more rapid testing into their – their their flight journeys, you know, I think it's just going to be another thing that a, a flight passenger has to go through when they get to the airport. You go through security, you take a, a rapid test, and you find out whether or not you're good to go in, in ten to fifteen minutes. I think you know that will open up air travel. I think that means a lot for just the uh, the country and and especially the sports industry. And you know, between that from there, maybe some type of therapeutic, and hopefully some type of vaccine uh, come springtime. So I don't think, you know, you knock on wood and I don't think it'll go back to what we were in, in, in spring, because it was just such a, a, an unknown period to be in. Uh, I think everyone is a, a little bit smarter, they're wiser and, uh, they're, you know, they're mostly taking the precautions that are necessary. So, uh, you know, I, you just hope it gets better because you, you, everything that, that, you're uh you're reading you know obviously you have to figure out if it's coming from a good source but you know the the information that seems valid you know it, it's hopefully pushing everything into, into that right direction
0: at this point like that's all you can do is really hope i i think yeah, and, i think it's in a way better like we're definitely in a way better position than we were say even like two months ago like june july i feel like I, especially in arizona like it was the the Mecca, you know, and then when I flew back in uh, March, when everything got shut down, Jersey and New York was obviously the, the epicenter for everything. But right now, I feel like it's in a pretty good spot for the most part. I feel like it's, it hasn't died down, but it's gotten to a point where it's everybody's kind of doing their own thing like everybody's taking their own precautions as they want to individually like i don't think mm-hmm. like there's some people who still take it very seriously where there's others who are kind of just like i want to live my life at this point
1: yeah um and you know you wish uh, at the bare minimum though everyone can can wear a mask i don't think it's you know asking too much is it an inconvenience i mean i think it's maybe on the most minor of levels uh but you know it's, it's uh all for helping out, you know, whoever maybe is, is next to you with a, uh, with a existing medical condition. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people, you know, I have a preexisting medical condition and uh, I don't know what, you know, what it would be like if I, you know, came down with it. Thankfully I haven't, thankfully I've tested negative the times I have been tested, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you take all that information, uh, you move forward with it. And um, I, I think you know going back to the unknown that's 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 the obviously the the scariest part about it because we don't know what lies ahead in the sports industry we don't you know we've seen a lot of organizations unfortunately have to make cuts cost cutting related cuts and i think we're going to learn more and more as you inch closer to your you know the next season and whether it's the NHL the NBA whether it's MLB and again you don't know if it's going to be good or bad so i think that's that's what you know keeps you on the edge of your seat and and you know you're kind of anxious to see where you're going to be after the new year uh, because that's i think when when things get rolling again and you know we're going to get more answers it's just a matter of whether they're going to they're going to be good or bad hopefully they're good
0: have you been uh, kind of? I don't want to say like too serious about it, but like, have you been uh, quarantining like a lot more than say the average person? Just to you know, like you said, having like a pre-existing illness to go aside
1: from that. Like, have you been um, just quarantining? I guess I'll use the word. I mean, it was pretty strict. You know, when when I think a lot of the country was hunkered down in in the spring, maybe the early summer as well. But little by little, um, yeah, I've been out um i you know you just you know have to take precaution you know make smart decisions am i going to you know go where there is a crowd no not really um i don't like being around a large crowd of people in a pandemic or a no pandemic but right. um but but yeah i mean making making smart choices you know you go to the you know the places that you know i guess you'd you'd have to go the food store um you know you make a target run so and so um but but yeah you just you just be careful, you know, use your judgment. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing. So, um, you know, it's it's worked out so far.
0: How have you been able to keep sharp for uh, whether it's play by play, uh, on screen stuff? How have you been able to kind of like keep your mojo going during these times?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's something you often think about. Um, I've been lucky enough to, uh, still continue my work with, with Sirius XM during all this. And, um, I'm an anchor there and been doing. My, uh, my reports from my kitchen table. And it's, it's a bit strange only because, you know, I, I usually anchor a lot on, on Mad Dog Sports Radio and, and MLB Network Radio and NFL Radio. And for, for a channel like Mad Dog Sports Radio, you know, I'm, I'm physically, uh, you know, in the same studio interacting with, with hosts like Adam Shine and, and Mad Dog Russo. And it's so much fun. Guys like Nick Wright as well. And it, it elevates the show. Obviously, the the quality I think is, is at its highest when when you're doing something like that. And here, you know, you're, you're you're barely interacting with them because of maybe some type of delays. It might not just be be worth it with, you know, the the time configuration. So, um, you know, you send your report in, and and that's pretty big. it's it's been pretty monotonous. But it is something that keeps you in that rhythm, like you were talking about. So, I think a lot of quality sports broadcasting, especially from a, you know, a a studio role, whether you're, you're studio hosting or reporting, uh, whether it's on TV or the radio, I think writing is a massive component in all that. And, and, you know, anchoring on the radio that allows you to fine tune your writing, constantly working at that craft and and keeping it sharp. So um, in that area, I'm not too worried about, but yeah, like like you mentioned, man, I haven't been on TV or in front of a screen, in, in half a year now. And it's really strange. It it really is. I think my last, you know, um, you know, on screen assignment was, was, yeah, in early March, it was, you know, with, with the work I do with uh, the NBA's international programming before that I had a, I had a boxing card, um, in early February and, and that's been it. So, um, you know, little by little, obviously we saw the NBA come back in, in the bubble and, you know, hopefully it's, uh, we're good to go for, for next season. Boxing's, you know, been slowly coming back, especially as we're hitting this fall season, more and more big matches are happening and you see more and more of these promotions, these boxing promotions, um, start to, to resurface. So there's a lot of promise there, but, uh, but yeah, I've had a lot of FOMO, <laughs> a lot of FOMO. Um, you know, what do I do to, to stay sharp other than like I was saying, like writing on the radio? Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I had a the best answer for you, but, um, you know, I, I watched a lot of my work. You know, I've been able to take this time, especially when everything shut down immediately. I was, you know, able to go back and, you know, update a lot of real materials, uh, update my boxing reel, which was, you know, very important to me. And and I think, um, you know, you it, I, I kind of want to equate it to riding a bike. You know, you, once you get back on the saddle, it's, you know, it, it's easy to get into that rhythm because it's a skill and, um, you know, all you have to do is shake off a little bit of rust and, you know, and you, and you also have to trust your, your talent and your skills. And I'm, I'm look, I'm, I don't want to come off as cocky, but I'm confident in what I can do. And, um, you know, what, why you watch some of these games on TV, I'm still observing the broadcasters that are, are calling these games. I think I've always done that. Um, it, it's something that I, I enjoy doing, it, you know, I think the average viewer probably is, is focusing more on what they're seeing in front of them. And, but you know, for, for someone who's in the industry, for someone who wants to be in the industry, you know, you, you pay more attention to some other things. And that's what I do, especially with baseball. Uh, sometimes I, I like to, you know, turn the, turn the sound down on the and game I'm watching and, and go to the radio feed because I I love radio play-by-play in the sport of baseball. And, you know, I'm able to to observe some of the announcers that I enjoy listening to and kind of, you know, take, take little tips here and there and, and, you know, put them in my back pocket. Maybe, you know, I can try to apply that technique to uh, my craft when, you know, you get back on the air, hopefully next season. And um, I, I think that's the been the key for me at least During all this, where it is low inventory, you know, a lot of talented people are on the sideline, and it's unfortunate, Uh, you know, a lot of people that are way more talented than I am and, and, um, and are, you know, on the same sideline I am. So uh, it's, it's tough to see. And, um, you know, we, again, hopefully get back to that normalcy that we're talking about
0: right and being a baseball broadcaster you've broadcasted for multiple minor league teams obviously in college at Fordham as well uh, uh, now with the Yankees as the digital scoreboard reporter for you uh, being a big baseball guy as you are obviously broadcasting multiple different sports in college as well how big of a shift was it uh, getting that break in boxing uh, in broadcasting I know you probably grew up a Big boxing fan as well. Like, uh, how how different was it? How quickly did you adapt to something like that?
1: So my passion for boxing started uh, about eight or nine years ago, and it was just because I wanted a new fitness hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrestled growing up, and I thought to myself, "Okay, I'm getting older. I'm in my you know early to mid twenties, and I I kind of wanted a, a workout that was similar to." to wrestling as far as like cardio goes. And I, you know, there's a, a boxing club that I knew that was in my town. I went in one day, started doing it. It was really tough, but you know, I kept going back and I really, really enjoyed it. And little by little with boxing, you know, there's certain steps where you kind of got to break the mold, learn the fundamentals and, and break through that barrier. Cause it's really tough and there's certain conditioning that you have to go through uh, you know, from there you you know you you hone your technique a little bit better, and from there you probably start learning how to protect yourself because it's really easy to punch a bag. It's a lot tougher to to get punched and sort of dodge those punches. So you know, from there you. You're like okay, I conquered that. Now I want to spar, and you know I've I've been sparring a lot. I would I would never compete on an amateur level because just of of the work I'm in. I think uh, any other industry, if I was you know doing a nine to five desk job, I would uh, I would probably be uh, you know competing on the uh, on an amateur level, nothing serious, but just because you want that rush and you want that that adventure, and um, you know you always want to do more. Well, I thought for the longest time, man, I really would love to combine this passion with the type of work I do. I want to get into boxing blow by blow, the play by play that you see. And it's really tough because not a lot of people do it. And there aren't a lot of places to go and learn and get that experience. So uh, it was always in the back of my mind, but it was something that I can, you know, never really pursued really hard. Um, and then by luck of the draw, and again, this is a lesson in this industry and really any, any industry you go in, it's just the way of life, but a lot of it is who, you know, Right. Right. And uh, Meredith Morakovitz, who does a, t- a fantastic job on Yes, is their clubhouse reporter. Uh, one of her friends is, um, he is a uh, an employee for Bella Entertainment, uh, you know, Lou Debella's boxing promotion, which is mm-hmm. uh, a lot different from uh, you know other boxing promotions that you've heard, maybe with Top Rank, maybe with Golden Boy Promotions, whatever it is, because they're they're affiliated, they're contracted with some big TV networks. Uh, DeBella, Bella, what's great about with De Entertainment, is he basically basically runs a freelance operation. Any of his fighters can compete on any of those networks, so uh, it's a lot of fun with that. And they put on their own you know show. They they have club shows, and they needed a a blow by blow announcer, uh, Meredith didn't know that I was really interested in doing this. And one day at Yankee stadium, she, you know, just asked me out of nowhere, Hey, do you have interest in commentating on boxing? And it was like, she was reading on my mind. So, you know, that's how I got started. She put me in touch with someone that she knew over there at the Bella and, you know, the rest is history. And now, um, you know, we're, we're aching to get going. Hopefully in the fall season, we'll, uh, we'll have something there, but yeah, that's, that's how it happened. And, you know, one job usually leads to another, yeah, and thankfully that uh, opened the door for me with boxing.
0: Wow. So, so when you're training, you ha- was there like one specific humbling experience that you had, like in the those first few weeks? Because I can't imagine that that's, that, I mean, that's just grueling. It sounds like.
1: You're talking about the broadcasting part of it, or when I'm actually like working, out? When I'm actually working out the training
0: aspect to it.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, when you get in the ring for the first time, when you spar yeah Um, everything that you feel like you've absorbed in learning it all leaves you yeah and it could because everything is going so fast in your mind and it takes a few sessions to have everything slow down and then you you know you are able to start you know programming what you're seeing in front of you and you're able to kind of tell yourself okay here's what you need to do in this moment and again it's all about slowing things down the more and more you do it the easier it gets but uh, I would say that the most humbling uh, would probably be taking uh, a punch that you don't see specifically a punch to your liver yeah. uh, it hurts really bad and I thankfully have been punched there only twice because those two experiences have forced me to sort of just glue my elbow in protecting my <laughs> liver uh, from here on out so uh, yeah, there's a lot of humbling experiences. I mean, when you first walk into that gym, you're humbled. Like, again, like you're saying, this, or like I was saying, the steps between conditioning, getting the fundamentals down, all that is a humbling experience. And then you get in the ring, things speed up on you. That's humbling. You're able to slow, down, slow them down, process things, pick up a little bit more, and they get more serious. And then, boom, you get tagged with a punch, and uh, it hurts really bad. But, uh, but you get up, you you learn how to absorb them, you learn how to absorb punches, and you you know you move forward and you compete. And I think all that experience really served me well in obviously, I'm not a professional, but just able to talk the talk and and relate to the fighters on that level that I'm covering. you know when you get that access to to cover them and and you you're able to tell their stories there's uh, a bit more of an understanding, and I think it it does come through a little bit in the broadcast. So I think that experience was really helping with this.
0: I was gonna say, like, that's definitely key, you knowing how to like properly analyze it, given that you have some sort of experience, maybe not on the same level as some of the professionals that you're calling for, but you definitely have that experience. Uh, for you, uh, just to shift gears all the way back to the beginning for you, starting out in broadcasting, was it always, uh, baseball over everything else because I know you got some opportunities as well as reporting on the entertainment side as well, right?
1: Yeah, and when I was in school, it was always sports. Uh, I, I dabbled in news a little bit with with yeah. our college radio station at Fordham, but a lot of sports. You know, in, in school we were hosting talk shows, we were calling Fordham athletics. Uh, luckily, we were you know obviously in New York City, so we were fortunate enough to be credentialed at at some of these major venues like Yankee Stadium and and Shea Stadium. And I, you know, I grew up in Northern New Jersey and I was a huge New New Jersey net fan. I, you know, I was only about 15 minutes away from the uh, Continental Airlines arena. I love going to net games and I was, you know, able to cover the nets while I was in school. I was going to English class in the morning and going to nets games at night, watching Jay Kidd and Richard Jefferson and and Vince Carter, and it was just you know an, an incredible experience. That's where you know you cut your teeth because you're around professionals. So I was doing all that. Uh, I, I had an internship when I was in school with uh, with Entertainment Tonight in their New York bureau, and also when I was in school there was something called MTVU, which was this circuited MTV station that only came on uh, you know over the air on college campuses. It was kind of neat um, and they were running a promotion for some college kids to be able to go and cover the Academy Awards in Los Angeles. And I luckily I I was able to get that opportunity. Um, It was sort of like a contest and, you know, I did enough to, to get that trip and get that assignment. And I mean, I was on the Academy Awards red carpet. It was wild. And that definitely uh, bit me, you know, I was bit by that bug, the entertainment news bug. And I, I, seriously thought about pursuing that and put all my energy into that upon graduating and then um I'm you know sitting home just recently graduating college pushing out applications everywhere trying to be a uh, you know a tv reporter and and you know back back then I've been out of college now almost 11 years so Um, it's a lot different now than it was then you'd be sending out, you know, DHL packages with with your resume and a DVD sample of your work and all this stuff. So it was, you know, it was costing me a lot of money, but I, you know, I was sending them out to, you know, every market in the U S it didn't matter where it was, Utah, you know, Virginia, Texas, everywhere. Um, I heard back from one place, I probably sent over 50 and, and you know, you heard back from one place, you hear those stories before you do it. And then when you're actually going through it, it uh, it still dejects you for sure. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going through all of that, and then an opportunity rose with the Trenton Thunder, who uh, are the, you know the A affiliate for the Yankees, and they needed a play-by-play announcer on the radio for their for their upcoming season. And it was really cool because here I was, 22, 23 at the time, and and this was double A ball. Um, I think back then levels of, of minor leagues as it pertained to where you were as a radio broadcaster, it kind of carried some weight. I don't think it carries weight anymore, but for whatever reason it did back then. And, you know, it seemed like a great opportunity. It was local. Obviously it was in my, you know, my home state and I accepted the offer and I had a blast. It was a lot of tough work, but I had a lot of fun and I, you know, stayed in minor league baseball for, you know, five seasons after college and that's the path i went down you know i put i put entertainment news uh definitely on on the on the back burner i don't know if i'll ever light that fuse again but uh, but yeah I, and after that i i you know was pulled into to the sports media and uh you know i i loved it ever since
0: now working in minor league baseball on that topic uh, with the thunder obviously getting your big break there at 22 years old are, were those just some of like the most fun years of your life? I mean, there's a lot of grind to it, obviously. there You're working multiple different things. You're doing media relations, you're doing sales, you're doing operations, everything, like the whole nine. What What would you take away from that, uh, both on like the fun side, the, the the really cool aspects of meeting people and gaining a lot of connections? And on the other side, kind of like the grinding and humbling moments where uh, like, did you ever have a moment where you like, you were almost were just like, maybe this isn't for me or did you, was it always constantly, uh, grinding through and overcoming some of those uh, bad moments.
1: I think you have a lot of those, man, where am I at in my life moments yeah. when you're doing something like that and, you know, doing it so young in my early twenties. And look, I think it's really important for a young broadcaster. If they want to be on air, you know, you go somewhere and you get those reps because it's, it's much like a, a minor league player in development. When you're young, that's when you develop you know, it doesn't, it's not the other way around. So I think it's so valuable to be on the air at a young age and get reps any way you can to, to develop your, your skill. And, you know, as a, as a young and and green professional who, you know, obviously thinks, you know, they, they know a little bit more than they probably do. Um Yeah. It's a, there's a lot of different experiences that go into it in that moment where, like you mentioned all the different hats that someone who works in minor league baseball wears. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, if you're not trying to do five things at once, then you're, you're not working hard in minor league baseball. Right. So, um, it's, it's tough. It's long days. And, and, you know, you, you sacrifice a lot of stuff. You come home late at night and, you know, you you go online and you see, you know, what your friends are doing who probably are making, uh, you know, way more money than you are, even though you're at a young age because there's really no money in, in minor league baseball. And, uh, yeah, then you have those moments of saying, like, man, what am I doing with my life? Is this all really worth it? And I, for me, at least, maybe because I was so locked in and focused on what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish in those roles. And building my career, it only hit me like when I, when I looked back at them, and I was like, man, those were awesome summers. Yeah. Uh, and, and a big reason why is just because of the relationships that you form with the people around you, whether it's, you know, colleagues in the office, broadcast partners, um, you know, your your fellow broadcasters that are in the same league as you, the, the people that are on the field, the players, the coaches, the executives from, from the organization that are affiliated with, with your minor league team, all that stuff is is molded into, you know, one big, uh, you know, one big ball of, like, happiness, really, because, the, the, you know, I have friends from so many different parts of this country that I never would have met if it wasn't for, for minor league baseball. And, it you know, it took me to places that I don't think I would have ever traveled to if it wasn't for something like the minor leagues, you know, I lived in Mobile, Alabama. I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. I had friends all over the South. Um, when, when I was in the Southern League, you know, Joe Davis, the, the voice of the Dodgers, he was, uh, you know, he was a, a fellow broadcaster in the league. That's how I met him and became friends with him. And, um, you know, there, there's countless others, you know, uh, Mick Gillespie, who's, who's, was a, was a mentor of mine at a young age. And, you know, he called Cubs games uh, during spring training. He, you know, it was a, it's been a huge part of my professional life, but, uh, but you, you know, you have other broadcasters, Adam, Amin. you know, he's obviously the voice of the Bulls. He's doing great things at Fox sports. You know, we, we all kind of, you know, we're in the, the same age at the time. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we connected through the, through the internet and, you know, it was kind of a interesting time. It was, you know, uh, you know, about 10, 11 years ago. So we're all young. We're we're using the internet to kind of, uh, connect with one another as as young professionals. Sometimes, you know, we'd have, you know, we meet person when we form friendships and, uh, and, you know, it's just a, a great time. So, uh, yeah, when it, when I look back, because right when you're in the fray and, and experiencing a lot of, you know, adversity, so to speak, right. it's uh, it's tough in your eyes. But then you look back on it and you man, you're say to yourself, I learned so much and have great memories. And, you know, I don't know where I would be without the minor league. So, uh, you know, I, I love my experience. And, and it's something that no one can take away from me. It's always in my back pocket. And, uh, I, you know, I really do cherish it.
0: And you just mentioned a ton of uh, great broadcasters there as well, uh, all coming up through the ranks, all similarly the same age as well. For you at Fordham, because Fordham's got the reputation for spitting out great broadcasters as well. Uh, you and Ryan Rucco alone, just to, just to name two. For you guys as underclassmen like when you first got to Fordham like how how intimidating was it in that field of broadcasting how many opportunities did you actually get as an underclassman? how
1: difficult was that? it was tough uh, for me personally, I transferred into Fordham um, I transferred in midway through my freshman year so I, I started uh, my first semester of college somewhere else then I came in so I, I mean technically for the for the freshman class which obviously you you go through a lot of training in you know at the place that you you know you want to be after the next four years, so I was behind. I had to catch up, yeah. and I think it was uh, you know just a stroke of luck that you know my boss through college Bob Aarons, who's uh, you know a mentor figure there, um accepted me because he could have easily turned me away and uh, you know he accepted me, and upon meeting like the the staff the of, of students, internally you're saying to yourself, hey. I, you know, I know just as much or more, uh, uh, you know, about sports and stuff like that than these kids. You're, you know, you obviously think like you're, you know, you're, you're a big fish in a small pond from, from where you're coming from, you know, with, with people that you grew up and and went to high school with, you you, you feel like you, you, you know, no more sports or, or whatever, you know, than them. Then you get to a place like this. And it was, uh, as a reality check right away because, you know, right in the room was, were people like you know, like Ryan and and some of my you know best friends who don't work on the air, but they work in in the industry, and they're all very knowledgeable. And then you know, you had some of the the seniors there that were doing incredible things uh, in my eyes at the time because they are so polished at at doing play by play, and it's something that I obviously wanted to do, didn't know how to do yet. And, you know, you hear them and you saying, man, I have a lot of work to do. So right. uh, that's how it starts. And yeah, that's when you get to work. And, and um, I, I was fortunate enough to have someone like, like Ryan Rucco who was a, a great above me. And, you know, we, we were able to work together a lot, but also, you know, he was, it was it, I want to kind of equate it to like JV and varsity, you know, he was, he was calling the the sports and he was calling the games that I wanted to call. So um, you know, what better carrot on the string to you know motivate me to get better than than a guy like Ryan Rucco or a guy like Dan Duva who who was uh, a little bit older than I. He's the you know the the radio voice of the the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL. So I had those two um, you know peers right in front of me on the depth chart. And I wanted to do the games they were doing. They were calling the best games. So, um, you know, you had to work for it. It wasn't handed to you. And that's the best part about my college experience is that nothing was given to you just because, you know, they feel like everyone needed an, an equal shot. There was a lot of inventory to go around, whether it was hosting shows or, you know, calling Fordham softball, baseball, women's hoops, uh, men's hoops, football, obviously, you know, you want to call football, you want to call men's basketball. Um, and, and those are, you know, the, the big gets, so to speak. And, um, I, I enjoyed calling women's basketball, but I wanted to call men's basketball right. and, and, um, you know, it wasn't handed to you, you know, when you, when you earned it, that's when you got it. So I think, uh, I think that experience was so invaluable to me and, and I can't, I can't imagine it any other way. Um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, not having people like, like Ryan and Dan who probably, you know, didn't know it at the time, but I mean, they were pushing me internally because I wanted to get better. I wanted to do the stuff they were doing. So I, you know, when I look back at my college experience, that's what I think about the motivation that, that was, was drilled into me. And, and, and I tried to carry that throughout my, my young professional life to kind of have that feeling and that want you know um and and that's kind of fueled me to to where i am at this moment
0: yeah i mean that competitive nature for sure is the best way to go about it and i know for us personally at grand canyon there's there's six of us so like there's pretty equal play-by-play opportunity in all sports so we don't necessarily have that like a few of us are way more serious about it than others which is always good when you're uh, the serious type but you being at fordham having that that Competitive nature with everybody that's in the the uh, the, the program uh, definitely had to be something that motivated you in the back of your head, in a sense. And having the likes of Ryan Ruko, who you kind of like grew up with, in a sense. Uh, so what was that whole relationship like? Cause you said like he was a year older than you and, uh, obviously you get the, the scoreboard, uh, host job with the Yankees. You auditioned for that twice, right? Like what was that whole, uh, experience like, and how was Ryan involved in that?
1: Yeah. Ryan was a bit of a hanger on, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm joking, but he, he, uh, yeah, he was a year above, um, uh, you know, my, my close group of friends who came from the radio station at Fordham, um, one is, is Bob Coyle, who's uh worked at Entercom, and he handles a lot of the um, sponsorships for the Mets Radio Network. And another is uh, Lou Baricelli, who who runs public relations for MLB Network. So you know we're all in the industry, and and then there was Ryan as well. So it was the it was the four of us, and that's like my that's my core group of life friends, really. They they're my best friends in the world to this day. But uh, but Ryan was a year older than us, so um, you know it, he always kind of hung out with. With us, you know, the kids that are in a, in a grade below him. So he, when he graduated, it was a little bit different. But he graduated right at the time when the new Yankee Stadium was opening, and that new facility allowed the Yankees obviously to do so much more with just game presentation. They have a giant scoreboard in center field, and they can literally broadcast off that scoreboard. And that's what happened. And and there was a role created. Uh, of a, you know, a a scoreboard host. And, and also there was a in-house production company created called Yankees on demand. So they would, they would push out a lot of content, go online. And uh, Ryan was, was the first person in that role. And over the years, you know, he he would do more, I think, you know, he did stats on yes network for, for the Yankee broadcasts and, you know, kind of got more and more involved uh, at the yes network. And, Uh, He eventually left that role inside the stadium and, you know, because I knew him, he recommended me and I auditioned and I did well. I know I did, but they went another direction and um, it was fine. I, you know, I'm I'm obviously doing other stuff, but, um, you know, when it came around again, maybe like a year or two later, uh, I auditioned again and I got it that time and I've been in that role and it's it's evolved it's changed over the, you know the course of time but um, you know that's kind of how that role started and uh, again like I mentioned it is all who you know um, you know is it just given to you because you know someone no the tape doesn't lie right you know you have to have the talent but you know someone's going to put you in in the position to to create that opportunity you you just have to nail it when when you get that chance and um, you know, I, I auditioned and, and, and I got the job and, um, you know, from there, just with the, the advent of things like Twitter and, and YouTube, especially, um, our, our focus with that job has has changed, you know, over the course of, of the years and it's going to continue to evolve because you have to stay up and up. I mean, the Yankees this year in 2020, especially, with a, a truncated season, you know, they're they're doing a terrific job uh, on their TikTok platform and, and Snapchat and, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. So our you know, our content goals I guess have definitely changed and they've evolved over time. And it's a lot different from when Ryan first jumped on the board when the role was created back in two thousand nine right and and last year and
0: I thought this was a tremendous story kind of a unique story for the both of you uh, growing up together in a sense at Fordham uh, him being one year older than you uh, him introducing you uh, to PR to get the job here with uh, uh, what you're doing right now and then of course last year you guys kind of break in together he gets his first play-by-play opportunity at Yankee Stadium while you get your first opportunity as the clubhouse reporter what was that whole scenario like you guys get the call for that last second because it was michael k who went down with the uh the injury everybody got injured last year broadcasters <laughs> john sterling went down at one point brian hope broke his or what he tore his uh, uh,
1: acl yeah and you know, in the media pickup game yeah
0: <laughs> what the hell was going on so, so so like how was that for you guys uh it, i mean it had to be special for you guys uh given Man, all the, history.
1: yeah uh the injury bug took no mercy on anyone who stepped inside Yankee stadium in 2019, but uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was also pretty unfortunate because uh, Michael Kay is a guy who, look, he went to Fordham as well. Um, I'm not saying like, that's, that's the reason to feel this way, but he is such a good person and has been uh, an ally. He's been, um, you know, someone who's, you know, been in my corner in the past, he's always, you know, especially when, when I started and, you know, he didn't have to go out of his way to, you know, introduce himself and, and all that stuff. So he's been uh, a terrific uh, friend really. And um, yeah, like, like I said, uh, you know, it is who, you know, a lot of it and, you know, through my, my scoreboard work um, people at yes took notice. Um, you know, Ryan also introduced me to a lot of people behind the scenes and I was able to foster relationships with them there. Um, and, and I know a couple of people behind the scenes, you know, go to bat for you and it's a wonderful feeling. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate there. And again, Michael K, um, had, I had a lot of problems with his voice in 2019. It forced him to miss some games. And right at the, the start of that, we were, uh, we were in the home clubhouse because Ryan was filling in for Meredith as a clubhouse reporter. And I was, you know, obviously they're just, you know, my typical game day duties. And we're in the clubhouse when that open access is there. And Ryan gets a call from, um, I'm not sure who he got a call from exactly. Well, someone from yes, obviously. And they told him, Hey, look, Michael's out tonight. Can't do. He just left his radio show. And, you know, you're going to have to fill in tonight. And up until that point, Ryan was was filling in uh, on, a, on a nice, consistent basis as uh, the Yankees, you know, backup play-by-play announcer, but all of his assignments came when the team was on the road. So this was a big moment for him. Um, and, you know, it was at Yankee Stadium. That's huge when you think about it. And it was terrific to, to be there when he got that call. And he didn't make mention to me that, hey, like, you could possibly be getting a call. In a in a couple of moments too, I'm not sure if he did know or did not know, but yeah, literally, you know, two minutes later, someone from yes called me, and you know, they said this is the situation. Basically, hey, this is your opportunity. You want to do it? Obviously, I said yes. Uh, inside, I'm thinking to myself: there's two hours or so before the pregame show starts, and I also have to do my stadium pregame show on top of that. So there was so much running in my mind, but it obviously didn't matter. You know, they, you know, said, Hey, this is, this is an opportunity. You want to do it? You say, yes, you don't say no. And you know, you trust yourself to try and slow things down in your head uh, kind of like stepping into the ring sparring, right? Everything's spinning, going fast. Um, I have my bosses at Yankee stadium uh, who were terrific and, and, you know, understanding with that, but um, I had to do two things at once that night, and it was uh, it was tricky. But for a moment, I was able to really enjoy it with with Ryan, and we found out we were getting the uh, the call essentially while we were standing in the Yankee clubhouse. So it was pretty cool for two kids wow. who, uh, you know, grew up in college together.
0: That's so interesting. And how that how that game turn out was that wasn't that a uh, June July?
1: Yeah, it was late June. It was right before they went to London. It was the series before right. London. Uh, they were playing really well. They were in a homestand where they were facing the Rays and the Astros, and then it ended with a series against the Blue Jays. And it was a, I think it was a nine or ten game homestand. They lost one game. So they, they did a terrific job. The team was clicking. And, um, you know, that night, that first, that first night that we both covered, um, you know, Aaron Judge hit a home run. They actually broke the Oh man, it was it was a home run record. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe maybe most consecutive consecutive games with a home run by you know one team. That sounds about right. And uh, they broke a the record that night. Uh, it was great. Um, you know the Yankees won. Next day we did it again. Vladimir Torres had a had a walk off base hit in in extra innings after the Yankees blew uh, you know the lead late and they were able to walk it off. Gatorade shower everything. It was in the works. Had the on field interview after the game, so I was able to dodge the gatorade a little bit. And, uh, you know, off they went to London. So it was a terrific stretch of Yankee baseball, and we were, you know, we were part of it and able to bring it into the homes of, of Yankee fans. It was it was terrific.
0: I mean, that's awesome, man. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, I don't want to take too much of your time here, but uh, the one thing I'm always intrigued to hear because it, it's kind of a big thing, uh, especially now, um, uh, I guess people really wouldn't admit it back then, but... For you as a broadcaster, I mean, the grind is real. Minor League Baseball as well, 140-plus games, uh, you did it three times. So for you as a broadcaster, trying to accomplish everything that you're trying to accomplish, uh, on top of kind of balancing, you know, somewhat of a personal life and just trying to be happy in general, how how have you uh, been able to manage everything, you know, trying to stay happy with what you're trying to do? Because, again, it is a very competitive industry and there are probably a lot of down moments, like you kind of mentioned, uh, throughout throughout our chat uh, that have been uh, difficult and kind of humbling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you you got to weigh whether or not you want it enough um, because yeah. there's a lot of people. I think it also is a test in endurance. I've seen a lot of people who um, are, you know, were really, really talented in this industry, and they've gone on to do different things outside the industry just because they, you know, they, you know, for whatever reason. But you know, ultimately, when you're when you're young and in your twenties, you know, it could be, you know, down, coming down to a, a, a money factor. Like, you know, you you see this stuff on TV in your living room and you think, man, there's a lot of money to be made in this industry. There really isn't. I mean, the large majority is that there isn't, um, you know, what you see on TV. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there's certain people, but um, like, if you're coming into this industry to try and, and strike it big in the pocket, it ain't happening. Like, you know, you, at least right in the beginning um, and for a while, you need to pay your dues period. And, and you have to do it again because it's a craft. It's a skill, and you know if if you if you don't have it, you're going to be exposed. So, it's a lot about honing your craft and and doing you know, in my opinion, like the the, the ten thousand hour rule. Um, you know, there's a terrific um, book, Outliers, and you know it talks about what experts do to kind of become experts. Talks about like you know the Beatles playing together for ten thousand hours before they become the Beatles as we knew them. So I, you know, I believe in stuff like that. And I think you, you know, you need reps as a, as a youngster and all this stuff. So when, when, you know, I'm working on a Saturday or Sunday or Friday night and, you know, there's a little bit of downtime when I'm at my job and I, you know, I, I you know, would look on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and I see my friends are out and, you know, you get, you, you get a little sad, I guess, but uh, ultimately, you know, you know, what you're, what you're doing or at least you got to trust that path and and trust yourself so um it's it's a matter of wanting it bad enough you know if if that kind of deterred you and and you you know you went in that direction that's fine i mean for for you personally or whoever you know you know whoever's taking this in but you know for me i knew what i want and and i still you know obviously i'm not you know where i want to be so to speak uh because you know you always have that ultimate reach for the stars career goal. But um I'm very comfortable where I'm at. And um when you're younger, you probably aren't because you're trying to build a foundation. And once that's built, it gets easier. But it takes a while to build that foundation. And there's a lot of things that get thrown at you uh while you're in the process of building it. So if, if you don't are, aren't deterred by some of those obstacles that you run into, you're gonna uh you're gonna make out okay. But uh it's a it's a tricky slope in the beginning because you're starting with a blank canvas and you've got to build. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's difficult, but once you get that foundation, everything becomes a, a little bit easier and it's worth it.
0: What is that? Uh, Cause you kind of mentioned it there. What is that reach for the stars goal for you? Is it play by play for obviously a major league baseball team? What exactly is it?
1: Yeah, I think it would be something along those lines and a nice balance between um, working on a major league broadcast, whether it's locally for a team or on a national level, I just want to you know be able to work full time in baseball, uh, on on a baseball broadcast. Um, I think yeah, reach for the stars. It would be in a play-by-play capacity, but I love reporting. I love studio hosting. So as long as I'm able to do something where I'm you know experiencing the grind with you know with the team or or, uh, or a regional or national network every day, be really happy with that. And I love to balance that with uh, doing boxing play-by-play at the highest level possible. So those are my two uh, reach for the star situations, I guess, that uh, I'm hopefully able to uh, work for in the future.
0: Well, you're definitely killing it right now, man. And thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your day to talk to me. I'll let you get back to the house search right now because, then again, the Yankees are on in a few hours, too. So you're going to want to watch that.
1: Yeah, man, um, making adult decisions lately. It's wild. <laughs> I still think of myself as a college kid because, uh, you know, it's just just the nature of everything. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time and having me, and uh, it was really great talking to you, Jack. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude, she's probably going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick, look. Oh. There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.